0: Welcome to the Global Enquirer, I'm your host, Nick Mortensen. The Global Enquirer is an undergraduate research podcast that explores case studies to show how global trends are affecting real lives. Today we'll be discussing Russia's hosting of the 2018 Soccer World Cup and its political and international significance. I'm joined by Walter Sharon and Roma Chitka. Walter, can you start with the case study?
1: So, the angle we're taking this week is to talk about the upcoming World Cup in uh, Russia this summer. begins in June. What you need to know about the World Cup is it's an international competition. It's basically the Olympics, but with one sport, uh, with soccer. It's wildly popular. Even though the U.S. didn't qualify this summer, there will be... Millions upon millions of people watching, um, and it always has very interesting storylines, not just based on the sport itself, but based on the politics that surround it. So this week what we're going to talk about is how um, the politics around Russia um, specifically influenced the upcoming games. And why should we care? Why is just one sporting event so
0: significant
1: so this week I sat down with Professor Natalie Koch um, from Syracuse University, uh, who's a professor of geography there. Uh, she has a focus on um, nationalism and geopolitics, especially in the realm of sport. And so she answered this question specifically, um, why, why are politics so linked to sport and why should we care?
2: Yeah, you, you do have to have a set of, um, well, you have to have a degree of financial resources in mm-hmm. order to make it happen. Uh, so that that would be the, the first major thing that I would point to. And from the other side of it is that the the leaders of these authoritarian states need to see a political utility to hosting some of these events. Uh, so from I, I don't think that those two points are, are unrelated. I think, mm-hmm. in fact, uh, much of the political utility comes from Uh, The distribution of certain certain finances uh, from from state coffers. So if you look at the states, the authoritarian states that are hosting many of these events in in recent years, um, sort of putting China aside, but not entirely, Mm. Uh, they tend to be resource rich countries. And they are dominated by what we would typically call a sort of rentier state or rentier state uh, political economy. This means that they have large amounts of resource wealth coming in. And these um, many of these states, the political economic networks are oriented around large, iconic, Uh, infrastructure and construction projects so the the hosting of these big events fit very nicely into that um, into that frontier state uh, political economy that that is already there Uh, so for some states that may be authoritarian if they don't really have the sort of configuration there may not be such an appeal Uh, they may not a have their money and b they just don't have the political economic networks to make it seem politically useful
0: the event's significant, but we always hear in the news that Russia is having a lot of domestic problems. So why would they even want the World Cup in light of those?
1: Right. So to answer that question, I think it's important to first address some of those domestic issues um, for a frame of reference. Uh, first of all, one of them being a storied history based on homophobia in the sense that uh, in June of 2013, Vladimir Putin uh, passed a law banning anything considered pro-gay or gay-, gay affirmative, which is um, kind of baffling that such a, a state would um, sponsor such a divisive piece of legislature. On top of that, they have had, uh, specifically in the realm of sport, a lot of issues with racism, um, a lot of different examples with um, the fans um, who are who things like monkey chants or throwing bananas on the field for... Uh, African players, things like that that are just really appalling that uh, they really haven't been able to tackle and are generally unresolved. And then, of course, as uh, many people are familiar, the most recent issue with the poisoning of a former Russian spy um, on U.K. soil.
0: And live all these issues, Roma, why would Russia even want to have the World Cup on their soil?
3: So historically, governments have wanted to host these major events as a way to portray themselves in a more positive light on an international scale. So while Russia is facing all of these controversies, they want the opportunity to kind of showcase themselves the way that they want to be seen by other international actors. And one of the ways that Putin and his government see that they can do this is by hosting the World Cup.
2: It's hard to imagine that the people can really benefit in in material sense right Mm. uh the governments will often tell the people that they are benefiting because they are getting uh, a positive image of their country on the international stage and that that is something very important so for a place like russia or any of the post-soviet successor states the 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 sense of national pride is actually extremely important, especially in the wake of um, the sort of chaos that you saw after the collapse of the Soviet Union. So during Soviet times, national identity and national pride was so concentrated around this idea of being a great power, hmm. and for a lot of people, that st- that that shame of no longer being a quote unquote great power is extremely is extremely relevant uh, so the leaders know that very well Vladimir Putin knows that very well as do all the other leaders in the Soviet successor states, um, the authoritarian ones in particular, that tapping into that sense of shame of lost great power status is, um, is is really quite successful in getting people on your side so things like hosting the World Cup or the Olympics in Sochi uh, that's a way of sort of pushing back and saying no look we are getting to become powerful again we are achieving what we lost uh and so that's a big part of the sort of building up national pride and a lot of people yeah they do they do buy into that and they do have a sense that okay no look we're being taken seriously on the state on the world stage again uh which is not to say you know that that's we can't dismiss that as as just being some sort of there there is some benefit that people feel from that but it's not like a tangible financial benefit
1: um, and in fact, some articles have said that uh, about 70% of Russians agree that hosting a World Cup will promote their international image. However, they will not benefit financially from the World Cup. Um, so it takes a bit of um, convincing for a state to say that uh, the people are going to benefit materially from this, as we've seen historically that that's really not the case. Uh, You can think specifically back to Brazil, um, when they had a lot of long-term issues following the World Cup, even though some short-term economic improvement might have occurred. uh, It's fair to say that oftentimes the people really don't benefit from this. And what kind of long-term issues are you kind of talking about? Like, what what are the consequences of hosting these games? Right. So if we look back to Brazil, uh, most recently in 2014, there were a lot of issues in terms of what um, the government got away with in terms of what they could do against their people, um, both economically and militarily. And Professor Koch talked about this in terms of the punitive forces that the state was able to express.
2: Sort of thinking about spectacle in the abstract, yes, there's two sides of it. Celebratory, the sort of use of benevolence and awe and wonder, and that's pretty clear with these events. Uh, from, the celebra- or from the punitive side, uh, you, you can see that in a number of ways. For, for the most part, I would say that much of that could be found in the exercise of coercive state power. Uh, And here, this might involve uh, removing residents from a particular neighborhood that's set to be demolished in order to um, build build a new stadium, something to that effect. And I don't think that's it's not necessarily something that's unique to, uh, to Russia, but it's something that we've seen consistently in, uh, in London with the East End evictions uh, all across Rio uh, in preparation for the last World Cup and the Olympics there, uh, evictions from, from favelas. Uh, but also I think the, the uh, case of the events themselves And how you can, how how you sort of have the the show of force at these events in terms of the sort of securitization of them uh, internationally and in. As a way to demonstrate that you're prepared for any potential terrorist attack, uh, so you have a sort of high high demonstration of the coercive power in the streets mm-hmm. but also I think if you, if you think back to rio uh, the the militarization of the favelas in order to keep some of the drug trafficking and other sort of violent violent uh, entrepreneurs in um, and out of the, the, the range of the tourists so that tourists felt safe. Uh, right. So there is sort of that positive uh, construction of it, and I think they're very much intertwined so, uh, so that, that, you can, that you can have a sense that the coercive state is actually a sense of what's, what's allowing the positive right. event to go on.
0: So we've seen mention of government force being used as a positive force during these international sporting events. Roma, is there a historical precedent to this at all?
3: Yeah, there were the 1936 Olympics in Berlin, um, which was obviously hosted when Hitler was in power. Um, And a lot of what happened in Germany in 1936 was based on the previous Los Angeles Olympics where shopkeepers were told to take down anti-Japanese signs and to treat um, Japanese athletes and spectators in a friendly manner so that the United States could show, no, like we're not as bad as we're being portrayed Um, In the international community, we are, in fact, you know, more open than people think we are.
2: Much of what they did in 1936 in Germany was sort of built upon what Los Angeles had done so successfully, which was building a positive image of the city and to promote um, to promote the city and interactions with the people in a, in a particular fashion. So, for example, Los Angeles uh, storekeepers were instructed to take down signs, the anti-Japanese signs, and to be friendly to the Japanese. Uh, and, and this was something that they were explicitly instructed to do. So in Germany then, uh, in 1936 like there's there was a there was a very similar sort of pattern and they had sent teams to los angeles to observe and wanted to implement a lot of what they had seen there in germany Uh, so the signs were taken down the city was beautified in a particular way people were instructed to interact with visitors in a particular manner so it was very much a sort of a crafted theater Uh, so to the extent that you know, much of what we saw there is coming out of a broader sort of global approach to beautifying the city and promoting a positive image, um, then I don't think that was necessarily an aberration. And I don't think then that any of the successive Olympics or other major events that you see have, have – strayed too far from that path. Uh, it's still about putting a positive spin on the country or the city or the leader um, as, as somehow benevolent or, or just not as bad as they're being made out to be in the international community. Um, so that said, uh, I, I think that, that that sense of trying to put a positive spin on it is heightened when you're in this moment of controversy. And honestly, to, to my mind, Putin is is He's he has an uphill battle, right? right, right. Um, and I, I don't think that you know he's he's necessarily as interested as as Hitler was at that moment in 1936 in okay, yeah. putting a positive spin on things.
0: Russia is using this event to increase their international prestige and they're trying to sell to their citizens through this nationalistic lens. But Russia, you know, throughout the world has been in the news a lot and not for good reasons. Walter, you mentioned the poisoning of that former Russian agent. And you also have accusations of election tampering, uh, the issue in Ukraine and elsewhere. Uh, Have other nations kind of used the World Cup against Russia? Nations with grievances like the United States or Great Britain or kind of the European Union, have they been able to use the World Cup against Russia?
1: Yes, Oh, for sure. So I would definitely say that um, I think it's apparent that in the recent years, it's kind of culminated that general opinion, especially in the West, upon Russia is that there's something a bit off, um, not necessarily to be trusted. And then based on um, the doping scandal that came up following their Olympics in Sochi, and then the whole election tampering, and then finally, just most re- in the most recent, in recent months, uh, we saw um, this poisoning problem. So I think this has all culminated in people's opinion on Russia and where they think this is going to go. So specifically speaking, in terms of how people have retaliated, um, we've seen diplomats being expelled from embassies in the U.S., in the U.K., other European um, states, generally agreeing that um, what's going on in Russia is not something that they can just stand by and watch. So I think that's really really um, interesting aspect of the whole, this whole side of things.
0: and. Have there been any retaliations specifically with the World Cup?
1: Um, yeah, so coming out of the UK, in fact, uh, we saw this um, take place because they came out recently and said that they note that a lot of problems are going on in Russia. And how is it possible to kind of take down this um, this image fest that you could say uh, this propagation um idea that they're trying to use through the World Cup because it's clear that Russia notes these problems. They want to improve their international image. So how, how can they kind of uh, avoid Russia from using this tournament as a tool? Is it the British government? It says we're not sending any uh, top officials to Russia to represent the United Kingdom, um, to kind of take away that legitimacy from the tournament. And then some commentators have even gone far enough to say that why not punish Russia to the extreme and take this tournament away? Now, I don't think that's a realistic thing that's going to happen between now and then, as that's fastly um, approaching. But um, I think it's interesting that people are toying with that idea of just um, taking the tournament away from them entirely. So
0: we've seen other nations trying to kind of steal Russia's thunder regarding the tournament. But what happens if Russia doesn't do well in the World Cup? Could they possibly kind of sink their own chances at getting gaining international prestige and nationalistic prestige if they were to lose? I mean, is that a real risk?
1: It's important to answer that question. It's important to look back in terms of Russia's history, in terms of their success at other global competitions. So you can go all the way back to uh, the Olympics in uh, Rio um, and 2010, how they didn't do very well at all. Um, and they saw, and Putin and, his, um, Putin and his government saw that approaching on the horizon was were the Sochi Games. Um, and the fact that they, I think they only won three gold medals overall in Rio, they really couldn't stand to have that happen when they were to host the Games. So as a result, you know, they ramped up everything they could do, legally and illegally. And what resulted was this um, large doping scandal um, that, was, that came out as a state... Sponsored idea um, as they saw a lot of success in the games, but it kind of delegitimized it once it came out that they were using um, illegal substances to do so. So, however, none of those accusations in terms of doping have included the, um, the international soccer team. So what's interesting to note on that standpoint is that this uh, this Russian national team historically has not done very well in global competitions. So as the host country, there's kind of two um, two ways you can go in that. So what's realistic in terms of Expectations for the Russian national team is that they won't do very well, um, based on their history. And in that sense, I think they'll, you know, maybe get out of the group stage, but not get much farther than that. And in that standpoint, this really takes the um, the fans out of the out of the tournament, as a lot of Russian people won't be attending with much uh, fervor, as their team isn't really in it. So then that kind of depletes the image of what Russia could look like um, if they were to kind of succeed.
3: But again, with all the scandals that have happened with Russian athletes on the global scale in the past, even if the Russian team manages to advance farther than the group stage and even goes on to win the tournament, that would bring even more questions to light about um, doping scandals within Russia. Because like Walter said, as of yet, the soccer team hasn't really been involved in that, but... Um, it could bring questions to the legitimacy of their win if they do manage to advance that far. So kind of we've been talking about how the World Cup is going to be for Russia in terms of its public image. And honestly, in terms of the team, it's kind of a lose-lose situation because if they lose the Cup, I mean, they lost on their home turf. Yet if they win the Cup, it is um, yet another kind of doping controversy. People will question whether or not they really deserve to win.
0: So it's a a hard situation because now, Walter, you've mentioned a lot of the domestic international issues plaguing Russia and Rome, we've talked about how no matter what they do, they're not going to look good. Why are they allowed to take the cup? Like, why are they allowed to host the World Cup? What organization kind of governs who hosts World Cup? And why was Russia
1: allowed to be on that list? And why are they kind of approved? Right. So along that thread, I think it's fair to that most people assume that there's kind of a international democratic body that um, kind of chooses what nation to get to host because of the, the um, broad range of implications that we just mentioned. Like, it's, it's no small feat when you host um, the World Cup. However, there really is not that... Democratic equivalent. Um, Specifically speaking, it is all done by uh, FIFA, which is the International uh, Football Association. And so FIFA has its whole uh, whole problems of its own, um, which Professor Koch goes into, as she notes that um, in many ways, they themselves uh, represent an authoritarian government.
2: FIFA is very opaque. Uh, it is not a democratic process and I think that this is something that you that that, that has come to light certainly with a lot of the um, the the news about the bribery scandal and, and delegating who got the uh, the most recent World Cup bids mm. so there, there's certainly a fair bit of corruption that determines this but it is also the the, the major piece being that there's not a, a democratic open process uh, process that, that one can that one can understand. And I have a I have a colleague who has been trying to do work and just get interviews with FIFA mm-hmm. and it's extremely difficult. They are close to researchers uh, in a way that in fact those of us who work in, in Russia or Kazakhstan or Qatar we we know that that it is difficult to get interviews and to get access to some of these countries and the places where we want to do research. Um, but we, we can still do that kind of research. And and it's, it's very, very difficult for researchers to do anything with FIFA.
1: I think what's interesting to specifically your question on why Russia and how do they get to host, um, something interesting to note is recently there has been, um, an emphasis put on, um, having countries labeled as the BRICS countries to be given um, opportunities to host international athletic competitions. BRICS is an acronym for Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. And South Africa, Brazil, and now Russia have all hosted. Um, they are labeled the BRICS countries based on um, their increasing um, economy on an international stage. So the idea is that they will be given, um, generally, like this this boost from these tournaments to legitimize their economy. But... Um, To kind of switch gears a bit, if you know anything about acronyms, Q is not in that, um, and Q could stand for Qatar, which is going on in 2022. So it's clearly not um, simply an economic choice. Uh, Clearly, there's more going on there.
3: Yeah, with the BRICS countries and their economic—they're countries that are on an economic upswing, but like we've seen uh, after the Cup in Brazil— like Walter talked about, billions of dollars worth of construction in stadiums that now just sit empty. So people are kind of questioning whether the economic benefit of things like increased tourism is actually something that is tangible and something that will last into the long term for these countries.
0: Do we know anything about the decision-making process that FIFA undergoes when they're selecting new hosts?
3: In fact, Professor Koch kind of talked about this when we talked about FIFA as an authoritarian body. And she said that FIFA does, in fact, hold many characteristics that would liken it to an authoritarian state, uh, specifically the fact that their decision-making process is both opaque and non-democratic, which means that... Answering your question is actually very difficult because we know almost nothing about the way that FIFA makes these choices. In fact, Professor Koch said that it was almost easier um, for her to get an interview in Qatar than it was for her to get an interview with someone at FIFA.
0: We're seeing a lot of corruption surrounding the decision making process and even sort of the execution of this World Cup, the construction, everything else. Uh, Roma, are we seeing anything similar in Qatar? Because I know you mentioned them and they'll they'll be hosting the next uh, World Cup in 2022.
3: The media mainly focuses on the conditions of migrant workers in Qatar and in other areas where um, these major sporting events are being held. But Professor Koch talked about what the media portrays isn't necessarily everything that's going on.
2: For the ordinary people, no, I don't think that there's necessarily any... any real reason to justify this, uh, for, for most of the people I'm thinking in Kazakhstan or Russia, uh, this, this does more harm than good because it means that a lot of the money from, uh, state services is getting funneled off into other, uh, sorts of projects. So maybe instead of building, uh, schools and infrastructure in, in around Sochi, for example, or any of the other big places that are hosting world cup games in Russia, uh, that, that is money that could be spent in other places. So from, from that standpoint, no. Uh, but that said, there has been a really concerted effort on the part of international advocacy groups to use these sporting events uh, to to push back against the regime and to shed a light on a lot of the human rights violations or injustices that are taking place in that country that maybe weren't getting enough attention or just were not on uh, most people's radar. So to the extent that they, they might be able to use that uh, as as a way to, to shed light on that, then, then perhaps there's some positive benefit that said I would say we shouldn't just equate transparency with the ability to affect mm. change okay. uh, so with with russia we can we can shed light on the injustice but that doesn't mean that you know russia's going to change overnight
3: what we don't see nearly enough attention being paid to is that there are in fact democratic states that are complicit in um, facilitating these projects that maybe don't include the best working conditions. So I think looking to 2022, what we need to focus on more is people besides just, you know, the poor low-income residents of these countries who is being affected by the World Cup, specifically major Western actors who benefit, um, no matter where the cup is being held.
0: Do you think democratic states need to hold FIFA accountable? Uh, Does there need to be sort of more intervention in the decision-making process, or do we have to simply just demand more of these states as they begin preparing for the World Cup?
1: Right. So something that Professor Koch mentioned was, um, just like what Romo said, um, aside from these issues that have been on human rights watches um, specifically in the in the realm of uh, migrant workers and the horrid conditions in which they're operating um, there also is this um, expansion of Western companies trying to stake their claim on you know sustainable resources or things in either the Gulf states or developing a liberal um, democracy so they can make a lot of money in these um, regions by by um, taking claim to contracts um, or other long-term deals that would really put them um, ingrained in all the economic developments there.
2: A lot of media attention about the Gulf states, not just Qatar, but uh, most of the Gulf states tends to focus on the working conditions of the migrant workers. Hmm. Uh, And this is something that we've also seen in the coverage of uh, sporting events in Russia. So, I think those concerns are legitimate. Uh, However, I I have a sense as a Gulf studies scholar uh, that there's simply not enough attention given to how Western organizations and uh, sort of uh, actors from democratic states Mm -hmm. are complicit in in facilitating a lot of these sorts of projects, uh, so you have this sort of push in recent in recent years in Qatar to develop a more green infrastructure, so more sustainably, environmentally friendly infrastructure, uh, and this is something that Siemens, major German company has absolutely been pushing and helping them with. So on the one hand, yes, we want to say that that's a positive development. Uh, but on the other hand, I think that that sort of complicity is what makes these projects, uh, we can greenwash them or we can whitewash them, however you want to think yeah, yeah. about it, right? Uh, and and that sort of complicity is something that I, I don't get a sense that there's enough international attention fixed on. Uh, so I would say going into the that next World Cup, that it's important that we think about uh, who else besides just the poor uh, might, be, uh, might be affected by this? And in fact, looking to elite networks, not just the Qataris, uh they, they are obviously elite, but also all those Western firms and consulting companies and others uh, who, who stand to profit immensely from these sorts of events is, is quite important to, to keep in mind.
0: And that'll do it for today. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate us 5 on iTunes or like us on Facebook. Thank you, Professor Natalie Koch, for all the work she's done this episode, and please join us next week when I work with Katya and Kara to discuss the social atmosphere of Russia. Thank you, and we'll see you next week.